0: Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.
1: We are currently in a five week sermon series titled Why Be Christian, which is exploring compelling reasons for identifying as a Christian today in the year 2023. I believe that this series is really important because many of us were taught and at one time believed that inerrancy, divine wrath, and exclusion in Jesus' name were the reasons for being Christian. Thankfully, as human consciousness continues to evolve, fewer and fewer people are okay with violent and dominion theology. And so we're in this really incredible liminal space in time in which different answers, different kinds of answers are needed for religious life. And at Pearl, Christian life in particular. Uh, Ben began a couple weeks ago by talking about the human need for a trellis, a framework upon which we build our lives Because without some kind of trellis, we humans can easily begin to feel untethered, unmoored in this vast and mysterious world. A couple core facets to a Christian trellis include a sacred story and a common table. A sacred story that tethers us to a divine invitation, which is for we humans to grow up into ever more wisdom and goodness. And then a common table, open to all, around which we experience belonging through the dappled divinity of humankind. Sacred story and common table. Together, our Christian trellis encourages lives lived out in ever-increasing love. And we spend time within this story, and we spend time around this table, we spend time in this story, we spend time around this table, and we find it beginning to shape our very understanding of reality itself. That's how important trellises are as frameworks for meaning in our lives. And then last week, Ben talked about the human compulsion for good, but even though we have this compulsion for good, there's often this hindrance called our ego. And within Christianity is our teacher Jesus who invites us into a way of wisdom that leads not just to our own flourishing, but to the flourishing of everyone and everything especially those who dominant societies and cultures undervalue, misuse, and harm. And so these are two nonviolent and non-dominion reasons for Christian life today. A trellis comprised of a story and table that gives shape to our understanding of life in this world. And then Jesus, who invites students to follow in his way for the flourishing of all. This morning, we're going to consider a third nonviolent and non-dominion reason for Christian life today, which is linguistic containers, Uh, linguistic containers. Once upon a time, Jen and I were just getting to know each other. It was one of those beautiful Portland summer days, blue sky, white puffy clouds, and Jen said, I think we should go have a picnic. And I said, that's a great idea. So we got all of our picnic stuff together and we put it all in our picnic basket and we talked about where we wanted to go. And Jen said, I'd like to go to the river. And I said, I love the river. I have a perfect place to go. And so we drove out east past Portland, past Gresham, just about to Troutdale, and we parked in this parking lot, and we got our picnic basket and all of our picnic belongings, and we walked across this busy road, and we went through this trail in between all of these shrubs, and we walked out onto this sandy, rocky bank looking over the beloved brown sandy river. And I turned around because Jen wasn't with me, and she was standing just outside the shrubs on the path looking at the river that we had gone to, and she looked kind of shocked, and I said, is everything okay? And she said, yeah, but I wasn't thinking we would go to a place like this. And I pointed at the beautiful brown sandy river and I said, river. And she said, that's not the kind of river I had in mind. And I said, well, what kind of river did you have in mind? And she said, I was thinking like, you know, like a mountain kind of river where you have kind of cool trees shading everything and the water is more clear. We could go somewhere like that. And I was like, oh, like a mountain creek? She's like, no, like, like the Salmon River, you know? And I was like, well, I'd, I've never been there. And she said, well, I used to go there all of the time. I, I loved it. My family, we would pack up a picnic kind of like we're doing now, and we'd drive up to Mount Hood, and we would go to the Salmon River And it was beautiful. And so we decided that we would go there. We went through the shrubs, across the busy road, into the car, drove all the way up to Mount Hood, to the Sandy River, which indeed is beautiful. You see, there are rivers, and then there are rivers. Do you see what I'm saying? Aren't words interesting? Like, Like, I could hold this up, and I could ask what it is. And most of us would say, well, that's, that's an iPad. But you see, this isn't actually an iPad. That's just the word that we've all agreed to use in describing this thing. We see something rectangular, about six by eight inches, metal on one side, screen on the other. Inside, it has speakers and batteries and chips and wires. And we've agreed to call this thing an iPad or a tablet. But those are just linguistic containers that gesture toward the thing that we're all trying to talk about. You see, there's the essence of the thing itself, and then there's the word that we've used to name the thing. But let there be no confusion the words that we use to name the things are not the things themselves, they're different. And so there's the thing, and if that thing is a physical thing, then we can all agree to call it by a particular word, like that's an iPad or that's a tablet. But then there's my river story, in which the word river was unable to get Jen and me on the same page. And so to get Jen and me on the same page, we had to enter the land of metaphor, to create a bridge that I could mentally walk across in order to understand the essence of what Jen had in mind when she said, let's go to the river. And going further down the rabbit hole, to help me understand why a particular kind of river was important to Jen, I needed her to tell me a story. A story, you see, is the primary way to get at the essence of a thing, that isn't actually physical. In the case of Jen's river, I needed a story to help me understand her value for a particular kind of river. Now, I know that was a lot. In summary, there's the thing itself. There's the thing itself, and then there's the word that we use to name the thing. But sometimes a word causes humans to think of different things, and so we need metaphors to create bridges of understanding to get us closer to the thing that we have in mind. But at times, the thing isn't as simple as a physical thing such as a value for a particular type of river. And so we need to tell stories to get at the essence of non-physical things such as values. And this is the mind bender, the thing. like Whatever the thing is that we have in mind, the thing is not in any way the same thing as the word, the metaphor, or the story. These words and metaphors and stories are just puffs of air shaped by tongue and lips that create vibrations which pass from one human to another intending to get us closer to the essence of the thing that we have in our minds. But the essence of the thing itself is not the same as the words, metaphors, and stories. Okay, now, here's where things begin to get really interesting. Let's consider the word God. 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 The word God is not the thing, right? That's just a linguistic container for ultimate reality. In fact, ultimate reality is just a linguistic container for that which holds all of this together. All of of that that which holds all of this together is just, right? We could just do this forever. We could just go on and on and on and on with our descriptors of the essence of what it is that holds all of this together. You see what I'm getting at? And so when I say God, many of us, without even realizing it, begin making meaning about God through words and metaphors and stories. There is no other way for us to think about that which is ineffable like God. And so we have words, God, in English, from the Hebrew Scriptures, Elohim, from the New Testament, Theos, Okay, you want to understand the Christian God? Here you go. God, Elohim, Theos. That doesn't mean anything, does it? Those are just puffs of, of air that are vibrating through and hitting your ears and making you hear the same thing that I'm saying. Not helpful. Okay, well then let's go to some biblical metaphors. God is a rock. God is a mother hen. God is Wind. God is silence. God is the creator. God is a savior. God is a redeemer. God is love. God. Rock, hen, wind, silence, creator, savior, redeemer, love. Got it? But do we got it? Like, forgive the grammar, do we got God? No, these are just metaphorical bridges to the thing that is holding all of this together. Okay, so let's go then to story, right? The Bible tells a story spanning Genesis and Revelation in which God creates, invites humans to grow up into all wisdom and embodies Jesus, the Word made flesh. And as we, like Jesus, grow to love ever more perfectly, good increases, evil decreases, and ultimately humans come to realize that we together inhabit God. Or perhaps it's better to say that God inhabits all of us because we're all in God. And this whole thing over time transfigures into a city of light as we grow up more and more and more into the knowledge and goodness of God. That's a biblical story about God. Now, of course, the patriarchs tell their own stories about God and the prophets speak messages from God and Job and the psalmists write poetry about God and Jesus tells stories, parables, and sermons about God. And so when Christians hear the word God, we have the Bible's words, metaphors, and stories in mind, which are our Christian containers for the divine. But again, these containers... All of these Christian words, all of these Christian metaphors, all of these Christian stories, these are just puffs of air shaped by lips and tongue that create vibrations which pass from one human to another, intending to make meaning of the infinite. But the words, metaphors, and stories are not the infinite. Now, at this point, some of you may be feeling a bit unsettled, right? I think a primary reason that we may feel unsettled is because we are children of the Enlightenment and of modern science, which means for Western Christians, many of us have been taught that our religious language, including the Bible, is perfect language. That's what many of us have been taught, that it's perfect. But to be clear, language, including the Bible's, is inherently imperfect. Language at its essence is a grasping at the reality of existence itself. Your reality, my reality, their reality, divine reality. But here's the thing, this doesn't mean that language isn't important. Very much to the contrary. Words, metaphors, stories, and the work of meaning-making is deeply and pervasively human. In this morning's reading from the Hebrew Scriptures, we heard that the earth was formless and void. There was nothing until the divine spoke a word. And suddenly we read that there was light. It's as if in this ancient story there was nothing, The infinite spoke something, a word, and that word was so powerful that it mysteriously and wonderfully manifested reality. Now, as strange and miraculous as this may seem, I think we all know what it's like to have a word manifest a reality. Uh, Several years ago, uh, we were driving to this beach town that we'd spent many years uh, taking our kids to. And we would always enter into this beach town and we would pass all of these beachy signs and we would get to the beach. And one time we were going to the beach and we passed this red, uh, white sign with red letters that we always passed. And Asher in the back of the van just started cracking up. And we turned around and we said, Asher, what, what is so funny? And he said, you know that sign back there that says drive like your kids live here? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we know what that is. And he said, every time we've passed that sign, I've thought it's meant, I thought it meant like, yahoo, let's get crazy, right? We're at the beach. Let's drive like wild maniacs. And and he said, I just realized that it means like, like drive carefully, right? Like if you love your kids, slow down. And we thought that was so funny. All of a sudden, a few words manifested an entirely new reality for our sign in which he became conscious of driving safely out of love for a person's own children. That's the power that words have in our lives. Have you ever had a moment in therapy? Oh, I hope you have. Or while talking with a dear friend, or while watching the show in which a thing was said, right? Like words were spoken, and their meaning actually in a very powerful way manifested a new reality in which you continue to live within this very day course you have. We all have. Perhaps this is why from the same Hebrew scripture reading this morning we heard God invite humankind into naming creation. There's a power in naming, an intense power. It helps to make the abstract more solid It opens our eyes and evolves our consciousness, naming in very real ways is capable of manifesting new realities in our lives again and again and again. With all of this in mind, I'd like to give another answer to the question, why be Christian? Why be Christian? Well, because Christianity bestows upon us humans an ecology of language, that imperfectly yet powerfully assists us in the human work of making meaning of reality, which is to say life itself. I'd like to say that again. Why be Christian? Because Christianity bestows upon us an ecology of language that imperfectly yet powerfully assists us in the deeply human work of making meaning of reality, which is to say life itself. I want to briefly celebrate a few facets of Christian language that I think helps to make the abstract more solid, opens our eyes, and helps to evolve our consciousness. I think it actually is capable of manifesting new realities again and again and again. So let's start with this word, Jesus. We heard in this morning's New Testament reading from John chapter 1, Jesus is the word made flesh. Now let's just consider that meaning-making. Jesus is the word made flesh. That is to say, the word of God in Genesis that made light manifest is, according to John, embodied in the very life of Jesus. We Christians call this the incarnation. It comes from the word "incarnate," which means "in flesh, in flesh. Isn't that incredible? This idea about the infinite. God isn't up there or out there or far away in some kind of spiritual realm that we must somehow attain. No, look, touch, taste, and see the infinite in flesh. For so much of human history, the gods were up there. They were out there. They were mercurial, and you had to appease them. And suddenly, in this incredible Christian story, the divine is in fleshed the infinite in a womb the infinite in a child the infinite believe it or not in adolescence <laughs> the infinite in differentiating from family the infinite in the wilderness the infinite in calling to a vocation the infinite in self-giving the infinite in a common table around which diverse people share life, the infinite in bread and wine, the infinite in suffering, the infinite in death, the infinite in resurrection. You see, the incarnation helps to make the abstract more solid. The incarnation opens our eyes and evolves our consciousness, the Word made flesh is as we sit with it, capable of manifesting new realities again and again and again. And resurrection, right? Like this idea that death is not a tomb but a womb, the notion that darkness gives way to life, the thought that something new is able to grow up out of the dust, the belief that at the foundation of it all Like at the foundation of everything is not absence, but substance. Like at the molecular level. The belief that the foundation of everything, the foundation is not absence, but substance. What incredible hope. The resurrection helps to make the abstract more solid. It opens our eyes and evolves our consciousness. It is capable of manifesting new realities again and again and again. I mean, we could do this all morning. This is actually the invitation of Christian life together. Uh, Let's think about the Trinity, the marvelous notion of Christianity's Trinity. God as interrelationship, existence, dancing with its multifaceted self, inviting everyone and everything to wake up to the interconnectedness of it all. I mean, we have lots of names for this. Subatomic theory, quantum entanglement, interrelated union, Trinity, Creator, Son, Holy Spirit. Within Christianity, Trinity helps to make the abstract of the infinite more solid. It opens our eyes and evolves our consciousness. It is capable of manifesting new realities again and again and again. We could do this all day, all week, all month, all year and truly why should we not for humans were made to make meaning by naming why be christian because christianity has handed down words and metaphors and stories to help gesture toward the heart of it all that's what language is I hope that we can sink into an ecology of Christian language at Pearl that imperfectly yet powerfully helps to make meaning of this sublime experience called life. And when we sit back and we look at other humans trying to do that work or other religions trying to do that work, we don't have to feel threatened. Uh, we We don't have the edge on language and words and metaphors and stories. We're all trying to do the same thing. And so we hold ours deeply but humbly as we try to make sense of this mysterious thing called life that we're living right now. Maybe so and let us pray.
0: We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.